If you haven't been here in a couple of weeks, we are in a series called Resourced. Everybody say Resourced. Uh, you can do better than that. Say Resourced. There you go. And our whole premise of this message backs up to God's dream. What does God want for us in the earth? What is God trying to do in the earth? Why does God even care about humanity? It is what it is. Those who are going to go to hell, going to go to hell. Those who are going to go to heaven, that's just how it is. There's no other. No, but God has a dream. And you can see it woven all throughout the Old Testament in your Bible, as well very clearly throughout the New Testament. In fact, there are multiple places where God's dream is you know, pronounced or spoken out. I call it his dream, his goal, his vision, his desire for humanity. And, um, but I think the best place in the whole scripture where it is really brought forward is when Jesus is sitting with this man, Zacchaeus. Anybody go to VBS back in the day? Zacchaeus was a we Yeah, Sunday school, let's go, from back in the day. And Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a very wicked individual. He was a Jewish man who was working for the Romans, taking money from the Jews. He was mafia. That's basically, you know, modern-day mafia. And, uh, and Jesus saw him and said, I'm coming to your house. And as he's sitting there in this house, Whatever discussion is happening, you have the Savior, Jesus Christ, sitting at your dining room table. The Bible says that Zacchaeus began to repent of his sins. And he says, I will give half of what I have away to the poor. And if I've stolen from anyone, I will return to them multiple times over. And Jesus looks at him and says, today salvation has come to your house. The reason why this is critical, because all the religious people were saying, how dare him? Go be with this wicked individual. And then Jesus makes this statement. And I think this summarizes God's dream. And he says it like this in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Humanity has been stolen from, from Father God. Our sin has separated us from him. He loved us so much that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus, as we sung about today, he, he bridged that gap between us and God, that sin gap by dying on the cross. He literally two chasms and he laid that cross and we can now come to the Father through Jesus Christ. And so I think as I look in scripture, I see this kind of heavenly formula. Jesus and the work that he did on the cross plus the church that he established, you and me, followers of Christ, or what is called the church, plus his resources of heaven to accomplish his great dream to seek and save that which is lost. He would that none should perish, but all come to eternal life. Do you believe that? Say yes. You, you can do better than that. Do you believe that? Say yes. I don't know if y'all believe it. Some of y'all work with some people. You're like, Pastor, they do not deserve to go to heaven. I'm not spending eternity with my mother-in-law. I don't know. I no, some of you don't quite believe that it is God's dream that he would that none should perish, but all come to eternal life. But most of you do. And so with that being said, we really wanted to focus on this resource piece. What has God entrusted to us that if we will work those resources properly, that combined with us being the church, that combined with the work of Jesus Christ would actually bring forward God's dream of winning the lost and the dying and the broken and those who have been stolen from God the Father. How do we bring them back? And those resources, we began to study a few of them in Scripture. We started with the one that made everyone nervous, and that is the resource of money. It was really interesting to watch. Well, the preacher goes again. 
talking about the money. But at the end of the day, it's one of the most commonly talked about things in Scripture. More than prayer, it's amazing. More than even love. Why? Because the love of money is the root of all evil. But money is a tool for kingdom business. And so we taught you, gave you some thoughts and some teachings on how to take that resource and properly steward it because we read in the Holy Scriptures that if we're faithful in little, he can make us ruler over much. And so some of you, I believe, God wants to bring millions upon tens of millions of hundreds of millions of dollars through your hands. But if you can't even be faithful to tithe 10% of $50,000 a year, you'll never tithe 10% of millions of dollars a year. If you can't be faithful when God says, I need you to give them that car, and you've got two extra ones, you'll never be faithful when he says, I need you to give a million dollars to that so that I can bring in the harvest through that gift. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. So that's why we looked at it. Then we went from there, and we looked at the next big resource, and that was time. And at this age of my life, time is much more valuable than money. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Say amen. Time with my children, the time investing in men and women of God, investing in the loss and the hurting, and organizing my time in such a way. And Jack Clark, can we just clap for him? What a great man of God. He did such a good job teaching us on that. And then last week, I brought forward what I called the heavenly tools, or the gifts, the, the heavenly gifts, if you will, the gifts of the Spirit, the power gifts, and then those gifts that, that you have, as Romans 12 talked about, gifts of leadership, administration, serving, those gifts. And we kind of looked at all of those together. And I've been believing, God, that you would begin to activate those tools all throughout this week. I've been praying, fasting over you, that you would stop, you know, being scared of that word of knowledge, be scared of that gift of prophecy, that you would begin to use that leadership gift for the kingdom of God. Anybody use their gifts this week for God's kingdom? All right, three of you. Thank you. Well, that message did a great work. I'm so happy. For, no, everybody raised their hand. All the online people are like, well, I'm raising my hand, Pastor. Which brings me to today, what we would call part five of this resource series. And today we're going to look at the, 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 the resource of, here we go, your sphere of influence. I'm titling this a sphere of influence. This is a key teaching in this church. We live and die based on your understanding of this great resource, your sphere of influence. And I would define sphere of influence I would define it something like that, that you have this group of people, whether you realize it or not, those who look to you, uh, those who listen to you. Maybe we could define it as maybe even those who might would follow you or those who actually trust you and maybe even allow you to speak into their life or help them move forward in the things of God. We use this term influencer now. It's a real popular term with social media, uh, influencers. Uh, you know, that, you know, they literally are these people who are online in social media formats, YouTube, things like that, to try to get your attention, try to get you to follow them, so that then advertisement, they, uh, they can be paid money for advertisement to get you to think a certain way and, and, and act a certain way. They're influencers, and it's amazing how quickly we have dove into giving our attention, our affection, our heart, our minds to people that we don't even know, but because they can get on YouTube and they can dance a little dance or sing a little song or say a little something or we follow them on social media because we like a little something over here. It's amazing how much influence we have given them. In fact, let me give you a couple stats. Anybody know who Coco Melon is? Come on, if you got kids, you know what Coco Melon is. Coco Melon nursery rhymes, they, uh, they bring in 128, they have 128 million subscribers and they bring in $11 million a month in advertisement revenue. So 
And like Jack Clark taught us a couple weeks ago, the bottom line is uh, you are the product. Advertisers are trying to get these YouTubers and these social media people to be able to get you to follow them, and then they want to give them money because they want to be able to present their, their thing they want you to buy. And so I love how he brought that out. How about this one? Anybody know who uh, uh, PewDiePie is? Anybody know who PewDiePie is, YouTuber? He's got, he's got 100, they got 111 million subscribers, and they bring in almost 5 million a month just in advertisement piece. How about Mr. Beast? Any young adults in the room? No, Mr. 90 million subscribers and brings in $3, 3 million a month in YouTube abs alone. In fact, the CEO of YouTube, Susan Walekski, said this uh, a couple months ago. She said, YouTube now reaches more 18 to 49-year-olds than all of the networks combined. Broadcast or cable. In fact, we reach more 18 to 49-year-olds during prime time than the top 10 TV shows combined. And what are they doing? They're taking all of that data of your interest and they're marketing more and more right back to you to give you more of what you showed interest in and having full control of the way you think and the way you move. Are you, st are you still looking at me and still loving me? Globally, <clears throat> globally, 57% of social media users say they've learned more about life from social media than from being at university. So when we think about influencers, we're probably thinking, especially in this era, it means so much more about people on social media and YouTube and things like that. But I want you to understand a real truth. Are you with me? Say yes. And that is God has given you influence. He has given you a sphere of influence, and if it, may, it may be small, it may be large, it may be broad, it may be minuscule, but at the end of the day, you have influence in someone's life. How are you stewarding that? How are you taking care of that? What are you doing with that influence that you have with that young man, with that coworker? What are you do how are you stewarding that? Because remember, if you're faithful in little, then he can make you ruler of, over much. To one he gave one, to one he gave two, to one he gave five talents, or if we could use it, a resource of influence. And the one who had five went and multiplied that according to their abilities, the word of God says. How do you become able at something? By continuing to learn how to use it. And so some of us think, well, Lord, you just didn't gift me with that. No, he did gift you with something, but you haven't taken the time, effort, and energy to learn how to use it so that the kingdom of God could push forward. And that's the whole goal of this series is for you and I to wake up and say, wait a minute, I don't have to be everything. I just need to be faithful to what's been entrusted to me. And at the end of the era of the age, he's going to look at you and me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to be the one that he goes, why didn't you take what I gave you? Why did you take that and go bury it and hide it because you said you were scared? No, no, sir. You were wicked and lazy. I'm referring back to that Matthew passage that we studied a couple weeks ago. He said, no, no, you're wicked and lazy. And then he says, take that wicked and lazy servant and cast them out. I am not going to be that guy, and you're not going to be that person. Are you with me? Say yes. And so we've got to learn about how we, can how we can steward this resource that I'm titling the sphere of influence. Let's look a little bit about Jesus. Jesus had a sphere of influence. I'm going to bring out some truth about this for you for just a second. In John chapter 17, Jesus is kind of having this final recorded engagement with God. He's praying and engaging, and it's all written here in the book of John. We don't really know all the prayers that he prayed there in the garden, but this passage prior to the garden is really powerful. In John chapter 17, he's talking about his disciples with the Father. Let's pick up in verse 11 and 12. He says, I'm coming to you. Dad, I'm coming home. I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, 
Again, references 12 disciples. Which you have given me. Who gave it to him? God the Father. What has he given the, Jesus? These 12 guys. This influence into these 12 men's life. That they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, talking about Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. It's an interesting engagement that Jesus is having with the Father, and and the book of John records it. He says, Dad, I'm about to be with you. I'm on my way to the cross. I did my assignment. I did what you told me to do. I invested everything I had into those 12 men. And I'm bring, none of them have been lost. I've guarded them. I've invested in them. I've poured my life into them. And Father, I just want you to know that you're going to have to keep them as one, just as you and I are one, because, because there's a lot of wickedness out there trying to divide, trying to de- separate them. But Lord, I know you will. Father, I know you will. And, and, and Father, I've got them all. I brought them all to you, except the one. I, you know, there's not a whole lot I can do about the one that was prophesied over, that this was the plan and existence, that he would be the son. I... I, 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 I you know, I, I poured into him too, Lord, but I'm bringing them all to you just like you asked me to bring them. Jesus had a sphere of influence. The reason I need you to understand this is Jesus ministered to everybody he came in contact, but he only took responsibility for 12. Think that through for a little bit, all you guys who know that ministry is who you are. But even if you don't think that I'm a minister, you need to understand you have an influence with someone. You have influence with someone, and how you, how you, you know, care for that, how you steward that, will really, really determine whether or not the kingdom of God goes forward, and the call of God to seek and save that which is lost is actually redeemed. In fact, let's look at this. Apostle Paul talks about his sphere of influence that God gave him in Second Corinthians chapter ten and verse twelve. You go through Second Corinthians, and Paul has he's rebuked them very harshly in First Corinthians. So in second, they repent. So in Second Corinthians, he comes back and is a little bit more cautious, uh, kind and, and, and say, I'm so proud of you repenting. Had to, I had to whoop you really hard over here. So I'm grateful that you repented and changed because the Corinthians had become, they were become crazy. They had become a crazy group of Christians. And so in verse 13 of Second Corinthians 10, he says, but we will not boast beyond limits. He says, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. Can I just kind of help you understand what he's saying there? He's saying, listen, I know everybody else is boasting about all that stuff. We don't really want to boast about something, all that. But what, what I will boast in is you. And you, God gave you to us as a sphere of influence. You, I, I don't have that sphere in Jerusalem. I don't have influence in Jerusalem. I don't have influence over in Samaria, but God gave you Corinthians to me. You are my sphere of influence to reach you, to reach your city, to reach the people that are connected to you. You are my sphere of influence, and I've been faithful to you. And so I'm going to write you multiple letters to keep you in track. I'm going to whoop you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to invest in you. I'm going to give you my life. You are our reward. Later, he actually says, you are the, the proof that God has moved in us because you are, the, the, you are everything we've invested in. Your sphere of influence. Every one of you have a sphere of influence. 
And if you don't recognize that, then you'll just kind of go to church, try to be a good Christian, and you will never impact the people you were called to impact. God has given you, given me, a sphere of influence. You and I have to learn how to actually work that sphere of influence. Do you understand that the entire world is connected by what is called six degrees of separation? Anybody know that term, six degrees of separation? Okay, for you guys that don't know what that means, so we're all connected relationally. Let me explain to you how, how an example of how that worked in my life. Uh, years ago, when President Bush uh, was the president, uh, George W. was president, there, I was a youth minister way back in those days, and I had a young man in my youth group whose aunt worked in the White House. She was an executive assistant, and I don't remember if it was to the vice president or to one of the, it was one of the key cabinet members, she was an executive assistant to this individual who met daily with the president. So me to this young man, one degree of separation. Him to his aunt, second degree of separation. Her to her boss, third degree, fourth degree to the president. I was only four degrees separated from the president. It could have been if I had something horrifically urgent that I wanted to tell the president, I could have told this young man. If he was willing, he could have told his aunt. If she was willing, she could have told her boss, and her boss could have told the president. The entire world is separated no more than by six degrees of separation, which is why stupid, how stupid is prejudice, how stupid that whole concept is. When we are all connected, tied in, all came from the same place, got the same color blood flowing through our veins, you and I are connected. You, don't, you may not know it, but that's your great, 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 great cousin anyway, so I don't know why you're being mad about it. You and I are all tied in. In fact, if you th take that logic all the way forward, and I haven't seen the statistics recently, but I think it was about 10 years ago, I heard someone teaching on this concept. If every person who claimed to be a Christian in the United States would take the influence that God's given them and just win one person to Jesus a year, we would win the entire world, six degrees of separation, within five to six years. We'd win the whole world to Jesus. So what that means is believers, Christians... A, do not realize that they have a sphere of influence, or B, they could care a flying flip to be sure that that sphere is actually stewarded properly so that God's dream could be fulfilled. It's one of those two issues right there. Either they don't know, you don't know you have a sphere of influence, or you don't care. And so I'm believing that you just don't know, and if, that, if you do know, you're not really sure what to do with it. I'm not really sure, but I need you to understand this, and that is the fact that God gave you that sphere of influence. It's not something that you earned so that you could get more advertisers to give you money. God gave you influence in somebody's life. He said, I don't think I have anybody. If you got kids, you got influence. Each and every one of us have influence. In fact, look what the Word of God says about this in reference to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. He's talking about the influence that we have with others. And he says, what do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Why do preachers and musicians and ministers walk around like they've done something? Any influence that I have, it's his influence that he gave to me. And if I don't steward it properly, then he has to take it away from me. Are you tracking with me? This is not about how good the preacher preaches or how fun your church is or how nice the buildings or the kids ministry. This is about you and I doing the work of the Lord to take the influence that he's entrusted us with, help people come to know Christ because we have influence in their life, and then go home. <laughs> That's where we're trying to get. 
And so I don't understand why the church has missed this so much. And so then what happens is we say, I don't know how to steward my influence, so I'm going to ask someone else to steward my influence. We want the preacher to do it or the ministers or the pastors or whatever to steward our influence. Years ago, I was ministering at this big young adult thing, and it was a powerful time. And this young man walks up to me. I mean, they're still worshiping. It's the end time. We're praying for people. And this young man walks up. He's crying. Unbelievable. He goes, I don't want my dad to go to hell. I haven't talked to him in 10 years, Pastor Adam. He's not come to my birthday. He's never written me a letter. I'm not, he's not texted me. And I said, man, let me pray with you about that. So I pray with him. And he goes, Pastor Adam, if I give you his cell phone number, would you call him? He'll listen to you. And I said, no, I will not. He said, why not? I said, son, I don't have influence with that man. If I'll call him, he's going to like, why are you calling my phone? Because your son, he would only listen to me because of your influence. Why would we trade off me to handle your influence? Steward your influence, son. He goes, well, what do you mean? I said, son, God has put your dad in your life and saved your life so that you can help his life. He will listen to you before he'll ever listen to me. You have influence. I don't. That's why I don't go over to the public schools to try to get kids saved. Why? Because they're going to be like, why? what is this predator doing on our campus? Right? I don't have influence there. I used to, but I don't anymore. Someone else has that influence. God has given someone else that influence. And I told him, I said, God has given you that influence. What will you do with it? And he goes, I don't know. I said, well, go back to your seat pray about it. All of a sudden, I see him. We're still worship, praying for me. I see him jet out the room. He's a thousand people, and I, see, I just see bust through the doors. It's midnight. It's one of those young adult rally revival things. Have you ever been to one of those back in the day? Anyway, and, uh, and then after about 45 minutes, he comes running back in. Yeah, I can't believe it. He grabs me, and he starts squeezing and jumping. Why do y'all pick up small people? I don't understand why y'all do that. I had to hit him in the ears to get him to let me down. I'm like, dude, you're crushing my spine. I, I go to chiropractor. I can't stand you. And he goes, you're not going to believe it. I said, what? He said, I called my dad. The dad you hadn't talked to in 10 years? Yes. And he answered the phone and said, hello, son. And I said, okay. He goes, you're not going to believe what he told me. I said, what? He said he was sitting in his lazy boy because it's Friday night, midnight. And when he got home from work, he drank a whole six-pack of beer, and he passed out. And he said, right before I called, a light came into his room. Because he'd only left the, he'd left the TV on, but all the lights were off in the room. Because when he started drinking, it was light outside. He had the windows open. He goes, and all of a sudden, this light came in the room. He said, standing at the end of his chair, he was laid back in his lazy boy, was a man. And it startled him. And the man touched him. And he said, I'm Jesus. And your son is praying that you will give your life to me. I'm here to tell you, he's about to call that phone. You answer it. And you do whatever he tells you to do. He said, Pastor, he told me that. I said, what'd you tell him to do? Repent. I said, there you go. There you go. He said, he's coming to church with me this Sunday. I haven't talked to him in 10 years. This kid came to me to talk about the hatred that he had in his heart for a dad that had abandoned him. And by the end of the night, he used his influence. And not only did God heal them, but he transformed that man's life and started him on a pathway of salvation and transformation. You have influence. You have influence. God gave it to you. Not, 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 not going out there and knocking on doors. God has given you influence. And now you and I need to learn how to steward. Are you with me today? Say yes. Let me give you some, some thoughts. I'm going to give you a few points 
on how to steward, biblical points on how to steward your influence, your sphere of influence. Number one, here's the first thing I would teach you, and that is take responsibility. Take responsibility. If God gave you influence and say, okay, Lord, it's my responsibility to be light and darkness, to love them. Take responsibility. It's an attitude shift. Look at 1 John, excuse me, John chapter 1, verse 41. This is Jesus has kind of, kind of been ministering, and Andrew engages with him. Andrew has been following John the Baptist. John the Baptist points to Jesus and said, I'm unfit to tie his sandals. Andrew goes and starts hanging out with Jesus for a second, one of his meetings, and then look what it says. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Andrew goes and gets his brother Simon Peter. We know Peter, 2,000 years later, to be one of the core leaders in the church. Peter does not become a core leader in the church. Come on, somebody. If Andrew doesn't use his influence to bring him to Jesus. See, we're sitting around trying to find some big-name person to mentor us, and we're trying to have revival and, and this kind of stuff. You got a brother who may be the next Billy Graham or a co-worker who might be the next Bishop Jakes or may just be a good godly man and le love his family and keep another family from breaking up because you have influence. And it says, and he grabbed him and he brought, come, we found the Messiah. Let me bring you to him. This is what's been missing in the church. We want to bring them to church. No, bring them to Jesus. Why do you think we do small group life? I'd rather them go and meet with you at Starbucks and you introduce them to Jesus than bring them to church. Bring them to church. That's great too. We have services so they can be welcomed in who don't know Christ. But at the end of the day, let's bring them to Jesus. He's the one that changes lives. He died for the sins of the world, not me and you, not this church. Years ago, I was preaching in this church in California, and they had asked me to do some leadership training, and I was doing some leadership training, and I was teaching them on something similar to this concept about how God has given us influence. And, uh, and so there was this little old lady walked up to me after the little, you know, the little, uh, I did like a Saturday seminar kind of thing for them, and then preached in their services on Sunday. And this little old lady walked up to me, and she says, I'm, <clears throat> I'm old retired and widowed i have no influence i said okay well let's just pray that god gives you influence i i, I should I, I know better but i accepted her at her word because she was older you don't think older people self-lie but she does she's lying to herself <laughs> and so and so you know you figure out after that many years of wisdom you know they surely they've learned something anyway so i so i so okay well let's just pray so I, so i just pray the lord give her influence she goes why you're here i'd like you to pray for something else for me i said okay what she goes my daughter and son-in-law i raised my daughter in the church and she loved god but my daughter and son-in-law have kind of gone down this wrong path they don't believe in god anymore and i'm really really concerned about my teenage granddaughter who's just turning 16. Um, my daughter's telling me she, she's starting to sleep around she's starting to get in trouble at school and uh would you just pray for that and i said nope it did it took me a second but i finally got wisdom I was like, why would I pray for that? That's your granddaughter. You want me to agree with you about something? She said, oh, yeah, yeah, I want you to agree with me about What do you want me to agree with? That someone would come into her life and help her know Jesus. I said, well, who do you think that someone could be? 
I don't know, like a young person like you, you know, okay? I said, what if you're the only one she'll listen to? She goes, well, well, I don't know. What do you mean? I said, if my grandmama, if my grandma, everybody's got a grandma? If my grandma came to me and said, I need to talk to you, she's got me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, whatever she wants, we're going to do it. That's grandma. I said, why don't you sit her down, take her to lunch, and tell her, you're going to die sooner than anyone else in the family. And you don't want to spend eternity without her. And the track that she's on, she's going to spend eternity in hell, separated from Jesus and separated from you. What if you just share her the truth of the path that she started down? And she goes, I don't know if I can do it. I said, well, that's what I'm going to pray for. I come back a year later. I'm in the Sunday services. And the pastor is having people testify about what God had done in that last year. Up walks this little old lady with her little friend, another little old lady. And she said, I can't believe that Pastor Adam is here because he's the one who did all this to me. And she said, a year ago, Pastor Adam was here, and he challenged me to love on my granddaughter. And so, Pastor Adam, I did what you said. I'm like, no, 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 Jesus told you to do that. I'm just was a vessel. And she said, and so I took my granddaughter out to, out to lunch, and I told her what Pastor Adam told me to tell her about. She's going to die one day. I'm going to die sooner than her. I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. She's on the wrong path. She's going to spend it in hell. I want her to know that I love her, and I don't want to spend eternity without her. And what can I do to help her know Jesus? And to which she began to weep with me right there at that little coffee shop. And she said, Grandma, it's so hard. And she goes, I know it's hard. Mom and dad don't even really believe it. I know, but Jesus believes in you and he believes in them. Do you want a relationship? She said, I, I don't know. She said, can, can I do this? I, I love my friends. Could we come over to your house? Could we do a spend the night over at your house? And her and her little friends sitting there. And they're like, and, they're like, and so we said, I said, yes. She goes, but then I called my, my girlfriend like, I got eight teenage girls coming to my house who don't know Jesus to spend the night. You're going to have to come help me. And she said, okay, well, what do we do? Do we make food? What kind of food do we make? I don't know. So she said, we started Googling. What do teenagers eat? <laughs> she said, so we got them over. And, that, and so we're all sitting around in our pajamas. And they said, we got some questions. Grandma, did you have sex with boys before you were married? <laughs> well, hmm. And she said, the girlfriend looked at her and she said, we just realized it's time to tell the truth. And they started telling the truth of what they had went through as teenage girls and what they had been delivered from and how God had set them free. He said, then from that point, they all said, well, if you can have Jesus like that, we want Jesus like that. So they prayed for him. They had a revival circle in the living room in their pajamas. All these girls got saved. And they had started a small group. Grandma started a small group with these eight teenage girls and God had been moving for the entire year. Everybody say sphere of influence. She would have never thought she had a sphere of influence. Because she was connecting it with who can I preach to opposed to who is God entrusted to me. And how can I love them into the kingdom? Are you tracking? Say yes. So the first thing I would tell you to do is take responsibility. When she took responsibility for her granddaughter, miracles happened. Here's the second thing I would teach you to do in stewarding your sphere of influence, and that is share what you've received. Share what you've received. 
In John chapter 4 and verse 29, there was this woman. Jesus was at the well. Anybody remember that? I've taught you this passage before. John chapter 4, Jesus is at this well, and this woman comes in the middle of the day to get water, which is totally anti-cultural. In other words, why is she coming in the middle of the day? All the women came early in the morning to draw water for all their duties throughout the day. Why is this woman coming in the middle of the day? Well, because we'll find out as we see this storyline in John chapter 4, this woman is that woman in the city. She's hoochie mama. I mean, she, everybody knows who she is. She's loosey-goosey, all right? That's who she is, okay? So she don't want the gossip. She don't want to face all these women who, the little bitties, and me, 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 me about her. So she waits to the middle of the day, and then she goes and gets her water. Well, Jesus is there, and Jesus has this engagement with her. And in the midst of back and forth, back and forth, she wants to try to argue some kind of religious doctrine and stuff. And Jesus just says, hey, won't you go get your husband? And she says, I'm not married. He goes, no, you've been married seven times. And the man you're with now, you're not married to. She goes, dear God, you must be a prophet. He says, oh, baby girl, I'm much more than a prophet. I'm the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And somehow in that engagement, everything inside of her turned around. And the Bible says she goes running back to the village. And she says this to everyone. Come meet a man. Come meet a man who told me everything about my life. And if you'll keep reading John chapter 4, it says, and the village comes out to the well. And it says, and then they put their faith in Jesus. This woman, in her brokenness, this woman, and everybody knew who she was. She had influence. It wasn't good influence, but she had influence. So when crazy girl, hoochie mama, starts saying, God has changed my life. You got to come meet Jesus. They're all like, we got to go see this. And the whole village came to Christ because she shared what she had received. I, I get so frustrated with people trying to share what you don't have. You can't give what you ain't got. You can't testify about what you haven't experienced. Then it's this philosophy. Well, I believe that we should. Uh, have you ever experienced that? Well, no, but I believe that we should. Uh. You see, some of you, the only thing you got is my marriage was destroyed. I was destroying it. I finally went back to God, and God has healed us and fixed us. He's always been good to me. That's what I got. That's your story, baby. Tell it and keep telling it. That's what you've got to share. You've got something to share. And this is really, in this piece of teaching about sharing what you've received, this is the reason why I did the resources of the spiritual gift or the heavenly tools last week, because you can give a word of knowledge to someone. You can, that's what you've got. God's given you a gifting. He's given you some type of spiritual gifting, some type of word of knowledge to be, be able to bring that, that out. I, the reason why I end up with a lot of influence is because everywhere I go, I'm always asking, Lord, do you have a word for that person? And so I'll give them a word, and they're like, oh, I will follow you to the ends of the earth. Like, whoa, whoa, man, there's too many. I can't do that. I can't steward everybody. I need somebody else who is supposed to steward you to come over here and help me with this thing. Are you tracking? Say yes. Which brings me to the third thing that I would teach you on how to steward the sphere of influence that the Lord has entrusted to you, and that is pray over your sphere of influence every day. We didn't move to Cedar Hill because it was the fastest growing city in the Metroplex. We didn't put a church in Cedar Hill because, you know, there's all these new homes going up and all you have to do is build it and they will come. My friends who are all mega church pastors are always like, now why are you in Cedar Hill? Like, you understand Frisco, if you put a campus in Frisco, Pastor Adam, that you would have 10,000 people, blah, 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 blah. Mm, but that's not my sphere of influence. God put us here and entrusted us with Cedar Hill and Duncanville and DeSoto and Grand Prairie and Mansfield because 
we can build multiracial, multi-generational churches, which is what heaven wants and is what I am called to do. And it's my sphere of influence. My wife didn't run for mayor. My wife wasn't a city councilwoman because it was a good, it was a good resume piece for her, you know, her desire to be president one day. She was crying out to God and he said, why don't you love your city the way you love your church? And she said, let's do it. And she pulled me in. She said, what if we believed for God to win a city? What if, what if Hill City was just a part of other churches that would see a city serve God together? What if we put our effort and energy into that? And I said, let's go, baby girl. I'm in on that vision. Let's go. You have a sphere of influence. Do you pray, do you pray for your children and your grandchildren every day? That's a sphere of influence for you. Do you pray for your coworkers? That's a sphere of influence. I don't know all your sphere of influence. I don't know how many you know, people that you have, it, God has entrusted to you, who they are, but I know that if you will pray, if you will do warfare for them, the enemy will let them go. Why? Because you have authority when you have spheres of influence. I don't have authority in certain areas because it's not my sphere of influence. In fact, that's what the apostle Paul was saying in that 2 Corinthians passage we were reading. He's like, listen, I may not have authority over there, but I got authority with you Christians because God gave you to me as my sphere of influence. And so I have authority so I can correct you, I can speak into you, and you can, you can grow from it because God's entrusted you to me and me to you. You have influence somewhere with some group, with somebody. It's whether or not you will literally take responsibility for it, begin to share what you have, and then begin to pray back the fires of hell and push back the kingdoms of darkness and push forward the kingdom of light into these areas of influence. Are you tracking? Say yes. You still love me? Say yes. Here's the fourth thing I would teach you. We got to move fast. You guys are listening slow. Let's go a little quicker. <laughs> Number four, share your worlds. Share your worlds. So when God gives you a sphere of influence, what many times what we want to do is we want to preach at them instead of share our world with them. Share their world with you. You share your world with them and let them share their world with you. Years ago, I, um, I was looking for something. I'm kinetic. My wife's brilliant. She's smart. She doesn't need to move around. I have to move. I have to do things. I, I hate working out like a little rat in a, in a, in a spinning wheel. So I got to go do something and play golf, do something. Uh, the problem with playing golf is it was, you know, it was expensive and I sucked at it. And so I found this years ago, this thing called disc golf. And, uh, and there was a lot of young adults that I had influence with, so we started playing disc golf. I could do it in an hour and a half. I could whoop them all really bad. I got really, really good, probably almost like a semi-pro status. I got really, really good at it. And then I would go out there when I, when I just needed to go be by myself with the Lord. And one particular time, I'm out there playing disc golf, and I come around the corner, and there's these two dudes, and they're, 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 they're in my way. Like, it's time for me to pass them. Like, they're way too slow, and they're not as good as I am. So they wave me through, and I come through. And as I come through, they're like, dear God, you just made that putt from that far out. I was like, yes. And they're like, can we play alongside of you? I'm like, oh, Jesus. And so I don't want to be rude. And I'm like, yeah, sure. And so we're playing. And the whole time I'm playing with them, I'm like, Lord, I need to be somewhere. I don't, uh, and I hear him say minister to them. I'm like, Lord, I got enough people to minister to. How many more can I minister to, Lord God? My, my plate is full. My bag is full. I can't care for this many people, Lord God. I can preach to everyone, but I can't take responsibility for everyone. And so, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? And he goes, you just, you just keep loving them. So I start sharing some things with them, sharing some things. And we get towards the end, and I'm like, Lord, do you really want me to, like, to take responsibility for these two guys? Like, I don't know them. Uh, they're, they're not Christians. I mean, they, they were dr dropping the F-bomb. They didn't have another adjective. It was the F-bomb. That's the only adjective they had. And so I'm like, you know, which is cool. I mean, that's great. That's what, that's what I would do if I wasn't serving Jesus. 
And, um, and so finally, they were like, hey, by the way, we forgot to introduce ourselves. I'm like, oh, okay. And then one guy goes, my name's Adam. I'm like, dude, my name's Adam. I'm like, no way. That's crazy. And the other guy goes, my name's Michael. I'm like, shut up. My middle name is Michael. I'm like, okay, God, I'll take him. And I just began to... Now, now I'm traveling the world at the time. I'm running a Bible school. How am I going to inject my world into their world? (laughs) My world is nowhere close to their world. (laughs) Nowhere close. In fact, as I interjected my world, we played disc golf. I went to their house. They came over to my house, this kind of stuff. And and they're just finally, after like nine months, one of the guys, you know, they they give their lives to Jesus. They'd already had some pathways to Christ, but they really kind of, we prayed together, and they really became good friends of mine and uh, even came to church here a little bit here and there but um but i'll never get one of them about nine months in he goes he goes dude i was convinced that you were a mule for the drug cartel i was like why he goes because you lived in a i had a really nice house uh in lake ridge and uh by the lake he goes because your house was nice and it was big and you were flying to columbia a lot to do missions work (laughs) and i got to laugh i'm like if I'm you, I'm thinking the exact thing right there. But God, but I, entered, I opened my world up to them, and they opened their world up to me. Are you tracking with me? We got enough of that judgmental Christianity where we just tell everybody what to do, and we act like we're better than, each, than them, and they, and they don't know how to engage. Just open your world up and say, man, come, come do what we do. Come with my family to go bowling. I'll come over there and hang out with you, you know, for the game. Open our worlds up to each other. You track and say yes. Number five, make investments. If you want to steward your sphere of influence, you got to make some investments. You got to make some time investments. You got to make some, some acts of kindness, some love gifts. Love gifts. You got a sphere of influence. When this young man picked up the phone to call his dad, who had not called him for 10 years, the shame that that man has been under because of the way he abandoned his son, that was immediately broken because this young man made a love investment. He made an investment of, 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 of forgiveness. In that moment, you got to make an investment. You can't, Jesus made an investment in you before you ever came back and invested your life into him. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. It was his goodness and his kindness that led me to repentance. It was he acted first. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. Say, Pastor, I've been making this investment in this old crazy dude that works for me. I should have fired him a long time ago. Thank you for making the investment. His soul is worth everything you're giving. His soul is worth every bit of what you get. Make the investment. Be kind. One of my best buddies in life, um, he works for a contract company, and they do hundreds of millions a year. And um, the owner who started it was also a friend of ours. Um, And he started, he had a little small, like, remodel company. Him and a couple dudes would come remodel, you know, living rooms and kitchens and bathrooms and things like that. But this friend of mine he had a substance abuse issue. He had been a Christian and in and out of church and didn't really serve the Lord. And he finally, this substance abuse issue got so bad that he was losing his marriage, he was losing his business. And so he just went and surrendered to the pastors at his church and said, I can't do anymore, I can't play the game anymore, tell me what to do. And they brought him through this deliverance ministry, this kind of this Christian rehab program thing and he went through that thing and it's setting free and in the midst of that god said i will use you and entrust you with millions of dollars if you will use your business to win souls and make disciples he said lord i'm in let's do it 
So this man began to hire guys, subcontractors and stuff, and while he had them working for him, he'd minister to them. He'd tell his story. He'd make investment. He'd give them a little extra pay, a little more than what they had agreed to. It began to grow and to the place where he had lots of people working for him. Then they made a shift. They said, if you're going to be an employee for us, every Monday we're going to have small group life. We're going to sit around the table. So here you've got these electricians. Come on. You've got these, these carpenters. You've got these rough type of people, many of them, just trying to make a living. And he's got them in this big area, this big conference room before they go out on job sites. And he's got multiple job sites all over the Metroplex. He's praying with them. He's sharing truths about the word. They're having discussion about it. So they begin to get saved. All of these employees begin to get saved. These electricians, these subcontractors that they want to work with him, they got to come to the, they got to come to their rally meeting on Mondays or whatever. They got to zoom in during COVID. All these kind of things. They baptized him in his pool. They have been seeing so many people saved because they've come to work with him. And can I tell you, that little sub that little company grew and grew and grew to hundreds of millions of dollars a year now. Why? Because they said, I will do, I will take what you've, been, you've entrusted to me. Whoever I come in contact with, that's my sphere of influence, Lord. And I will take these men, these kind of men and women who work in this kind of field, and I will invest what I got into them. And can I tell you, now these guys have broken off, have their own companies that are growing. They're doing the same thing. They're having Bible study. They're seeing their coworkers come to Christ as they make it a focal point. Why? Because you and I have been given by God spheres of influence. What are we doing with it? What are we doing with it? At the end of the day, at the end of the day, if you become extremely wealthy and have all the money in the world and you never have to think again, you don't even have to get out of bed again, your money's making money, then what? Then what? Well, then I'm going I'm to go on vacation every week. Then what? Well, then I'm going to have more money for my grandkids than I could have. Then what? Then you're going to die and you're going to stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and he's going to say, what did you do with what I entrusted you with? It's the only thing we're going to be judged on. Not whether we were good or bad, made mistakes, Trump was, uh, stumbled and fall, you know, sinned here or there. What did you do with what I entrusted you with? I gave you my last final word was to go make disciples. I gave you influence. What did you do with it? Brings me to the sixth point, closing out, how to steward your sphere of influence. And that is don't take the Holy Spirit's place. It is not my job to save them. I cannot convict them. The Bible says the Holy Spirit came to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come. All I am is a witness. All I am is telling you what happened to me. I cannot get them. I can't get you saved. I can't transform your life. I cannot, I can, I, I cannot convict you. And I watch parents try to do this. I watch grandparents try. I watch coworkers try to convict people because they see sin in their life. Try to get them to get saved. You, you're not going to get them saved. Jesus, if he be lifted up, he will draw all men to him. So just keep lifting up Jesus. What did he do for you? What's he doing in your life? I have influence with you. Let me just share with you. Let me tell you what God's been doing to me. What should I do? I mean, I think I can point you to some things in scripture, but I'm not, I can't tell you what to do because then I become your Lord and I'm not the Holy Ghost. Are you tracking with me? Say, Yes, and I watch you guys, especially small group leaders, and you try to carry everybody's burden and fix all their problems, and you're like, it's too heavy, I can't do it. Yes, because you tried to be the Holy Spirit, and you're not the Holy Spirit. You're a human dude or dudette who's just doing your best to serve Jesus, because if you take the place of the Holy Spirit in their eyes, in their mind, then guess what? When they see your humanity, they'll up yours, God, because you can't be real, because if he can't be, if he's wicked, if he has issues, then how can I ever serve God? This is the breakdown. 
And so what we do is we elevate our preachers and our pastors, and they say, oh, he's so amazing. And we, and we preachers and pastors and musicians and whatever else, we take on the role of the Holy Spirit. That's right, that's right. Look at us, look at us. No, 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 no. Reflect, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus. Why? Because I have humanity. I don't live in sin. I live righteous before the Lord. But at the end of the day, if you take the place of the Holy Spirit in their life and try to be everything for them, you're going to fail them at some point. And then they'll say, God has failed me. The reason why we got an entire younger generation that is constantly deconstructing their faith is because we built this whole thing on social relationship opposed to he's Lord. When I came to Christ, I died. Adam McCain died that day. And I was resurrected in newness of life. The old passed away and everything became new. He is my Lord and Savior, not the preacher, not the pastor. I loved all my pastors and all my pastors had humanity. And I got to see a lot of it, especially being on their staffs. And I was like, "Woo! thank God Jesus is my Lord, not them. Thank God, because he will never leave me or forsake me. He will never fail. He didn't sin. No, not once did he sin, but he faced every temptation that you and I face. Come on, you're there. Say yes. That's who my Lord and Savior is. So don't try to be their Holy Spirit and try to fix all their problems. Come on, you with me? Say yes. One last story. In high school, I dated this gal because I was mad at my last girlfriend who broke up with me. So I dated a friend of hers to get back at her. This was way before Jesus ever pointed out Miss Jamie in my life as I was in sin. I was blinded to my, my own stupidity. And so I dated this girl, and then my old girlfriend came back, and so my little, you know, quick two-month dating of this other little girl was just really was jealousy, and I was just using her to, to make my other girlfriend, my ex-girlfriend, jealous. And it worked. It worked great. And, um, and so this one came back to me and said, you know, I, I miss you. I made the worst decision in my life. And I'm like, I know you did, and I miss you too. And said, but, but you have a girlfriend now, but I don't have to have a girlfriend now. We can go back together. And so I then contacted girl number two and said, listen, I just want you to know, I've been praying. I just don't feel like, you know, I feel like God has something else for you. Like, like I'm holding you back, and God has a plan. Come on, you know how religious we are and how wicked we are, and manipulative we can be and so I broke up with her because God wanted something else for her and, and then went back with the other girl and then girl number one eventually you know broke up with me again or whatever happened well girl number two it broke her down because I was a youth leader in our youth group I was just an idiot and so she went out she's like forget this forget church forget Jesus if this is what this is about I'm out and so, um, and I lost contact with her. And, I, and then, you know, in Bible school, I picked up a job at Sam's Wholesale Club. And, uh, and so started started working there. And the day I walked in, guess who's standing there at one of the registers? Girl number two. <laughs> I'm in Bible school now. So now I'm like really learning how stupid I had been. And so um, <clears throat> first day, I said, hey, can I talk to you <laughs> about I hadn't seen her in like a year or two. And I was like, about my stupidity and my brokenness that hurt you. And she said, sure. And I just repented to her. I said, you know what? I, I, there's no excuse. I hurt you. I was manipulative. And would you ever forgive me? And she said, yes, I forgive you. And then I just started telling her. I said, Jesus never did that. That was me. Jesus has always been there for you. And I know you felt him at times. She got big tears. Yeah. So don't push him away because of my stupidity. And in fact, you know, um, man, I'd really like to see you 
you know, come back to church with us and things like that. And she said, all right, I'll be there. And so she came the next week. Well, she sat next to me. And the second week, she sat next to me. And then I realized, wait a minute. And so then I pulled her aside again. I said, hey, I need you to understand something very clearly. I'm not your Holy Spirit. I'm not your Jesus. You can't come to church for me. I mean, you're my friend now, and I really did some stupidity that hurt your heart. And I'm not trying to flirt with you or restart a relationship. Please, if I've given off any of that, please forgive me. And she goes, no, I just didn't know what else to do. I pointed her back to the, to the person of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you something, something supernatural happened in that moment. That thing was broken. That little hope of getting back together was broken, that little weird thing. She fell in love with Jesus in a fresh new way, and the power of the Holy Spirit began to move through her. She began to minister to others. The girls in the, in, in the ministry all took her on, and all the other single girls, and she was just phenomenal because I stepped away from trying to be her Holy Spirit. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. Quickly stand with me across the room. Hey everybody, wasn't that a great message? I know that as we speak, your life is being changed by the word of the Lord. So here's what I want you to do. Take some time to think about it, consider it, pray and ask the Lord how you can apply it to your life today and this week. And maybe there's something that he's asking you to change or do differently in your life. So let's not let this be something that we just watch and then walk away like nothing happened. We're so grateful to be able to hear the word of the Lord. You weren't here in person today, but you're here with us online and that matters. And if you made a decision for Christ today, we wanna know, we wanna know how to come alongside you and how to support you and how we can best pray for you. So please, if you did make that decision for Christ today, text the word DECIDED to 469-606-2684. We can't wait to see you back next week, same time, same place, Share these posts with your friends. Share it on your social media. Blast it out there. Don't be greedy and keep it to yourself. We love you and we'll see you soon. God bless.